us we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Thanks, Craig. Uh, this pulpit's got to work out today. Going up. <laughs> Thank you. I, one of the things I often say that I love is, uh, as I'm about to preach, just, just letting the song leader, letting the various parts of the service prepare my heart. And there's, it's been no exception today. Um, it's been a, a week of providence, I think, just because of decisions we make. I'm preaching and Matt's free this week. You know, the Lord's providence. I thought during the week too, I'm sitting there hearing all the ambulances going past and we seem to be under the flight path of the helicopters and I'm sitting in my hobby room writing a sermon on the word of God and thinking, you know, am I, is it the right topic? Should I be talking about something else? And it struck me as I was going through it. Um, where do you turn, Simon? Where do you turn when life's falling apart? Where do you turn when you're at your wits end? Yeah, yes, I pour my heart out to God, but I turn here. I turn here. Timeless wisdom, perfect perspective, comfort, strength, seeing our merciful God in color. This is where I turn. Let me give you one example. I'm going over time today. Have mercy. Hear the word of the Lord. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roll, roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in her midst. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Do you need something written yesterday? That's 3,000 years old. Can I underline when we're in trouble where we turn is to the word of God? And I trust that God's going to feed your spirit this morning as we come to his word. As I look at 2 Timothy, we're in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, very familiar passage. And so when I come to it, I start to read it and all I can hear is Annie teaching our kids when they were little, the memory verse. I can still feel the rhythm of it. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for... And, and going through it, and, and this is something that struck home to me again. This is foundational to us, very familiar to us. But let me tell you, it's powerful, powerful, and we're going to see that in its context today. Let's read. I'm actually just going to read from verse 10 through to 17 to save time, but it actually flows on into, into chapter 4. There was no 4 there when Timothy read it. It flows on through there, and you're going to see how powerful it is as we come to it later. Verse 10, 2 Timothy 3, verse 10. You, however, he's Paul speaking to Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned 
and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learnt it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Father, we are, we are needy people. We, we always are, but especially this week. You see our hearts, you see our condition, you see what's happened over this time, and God, we're so thankful we know you. We're so thankful that you're our comforter, you're our strength. You're the one who's with us. We're so thankful that this only happened because you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to pay for our sin. That we might know you, our creator. And Father, we pray that your word would be at work in our hearts this morning. That you would comfort and strengthen us and give us strong faith in what you've said. Lord, help us to be consistent with what we learn. And Father, please... Use this weak vessel that people may see you and may see your word. In Jesus' name, amen. As we start to work into this passage, we're going to see there are two characteristics of this word followed by the implication, what that, what that means. Uh, what we're going to see first of all is that all of scripture is inspired. It's breathed out by God. And because of that, it's beneficial. It's beneficial to us. And if that's the case, we'll see the so that there, then it will carry out its purpose. It will carry out its purpose in our lives. And so very simple headings. Scripture is God-breathed. Scripture is beneficial. And Scripture is sufficient. It's enough. Let's keep rolling. First point, Scripture is God-breathed. We see there in the verse, powerful words. They, they, they sometimes wash over us just because we're so familiar with them. Think about this. All Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture is breathed out by God. You can see in some versions it says inspired, neither is a better translation. What it means is that this comes from God. This book comes from God. One commentator says the scriptures owe their origin and distinctiveness to God himself. This is the abiding character of scripture. This is why we see the scripture and we say ourselves, we say the scripture is what? God's word. When the New Testament quotes the Old Testament, it often says it is written, but it also often says God says. God says. This truth sets the Bible apart. It sets it apart from any kind of human wisdom or any other so-called holy book. These are God's words reflecting his heart and his mind and his will. Powerful, And often, as you see passages that speak of God's word, you'll see that it compares man with God. What it would be like to hear from man, and then what it's like to hear from God. And we see one example. Let me just read it to you. Um, 2 Peter, you know the passage, 1, 20, 21. Knowing, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced... By the will of man, but men spoke from God. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God spoke through men in history, through men in particular circumstances, but the Holy Spirit so worked that what they wrote was the word of God and God signs his name to all of it. All of it. Interesting to, to note in the scriptures the standard for a prophet. Anyone who dared to speak in God's name. The standard was not attainable by human wisdom. 
It was not attainable by human wisdom. In Deuteronomy 13, we see that any person who claimed to speak from God and yet spoke something that contradicted a previous command, a previous revelation, was killed. This is the standard for a prophet. In chapter 18 of the, say, of the same book, we see that someone who dared to speak, say he was speaking in the name of Yahweh, and yet presumed to speak his own words was killed and it specifically says there have no pity have no pity this is the standard what was the standard the standard there was if he gives a prophecy it must come true it's not a human standard it must be supernatural if you say you speak from Yahweh and this is the case with the scriptures that is why the sheer weight of fulfilled prophecy from this book is stunning Absolutely stunning. It's breathtaking. Look at God's promises towards Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and how they were fulfilled to the letter. It's God-breathed. Look at the, the stunning fulfillments from Daniel's prophecy towards the kingdoms that were to come, to what he said about the Messiah who was to come. Fulfilled to the letter. This is God-breathed. Look at the supernatural way that so many Old Testament prophecies came together in one man. The Lord Jesus Christ who was not just man. Supernatural. So supernatural are the Old Testament prophecies that in the 1800s uh, there were many scholars who looked at the book of Isaiah and said, well, that can't be right. <laughs> he, he prophesied Cyrus by name. He prophesied the crucifixion of Jesus Christ to the letter, even the theology behind it. That can't be right. There must be two Isaiahs. There must be three Isaiahs. One part was for... <laughs> the latter part must have been later. Not, not a scrap of manuscript evidence that there was any change. This book is supernatural. This book is supernatural. In bringing together the scriptures and recognizing that the books were from God, we call it the canon or canonization, for, for the vast majority of books, there, it wasn't even a question. There were some small debates over some, very few, but most of them were just the source from a prophet, an acknowledged prophet, the quality, the accuracy, the impact on the, the Christian and Jewish communities. It was just so clear. These words are from God. God chose them. They stand more than head and shoulders above any other human work. Very clear. It's God-breathed. It's supernatural. It's precious beyond words. And as Craig prayed before, it's sitting right there in your lap. In your language. Do you get the privilege that you have incredible thinking of this these scriptures coming from god there's been debate in the last couple of centuries is there an error in scripture and some people bring up you know arguments and often the arguments are like you know when someone's trying to catch you out in your words and they ha 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 <laughs> you know but it's like wait a minute i wouldn't say that way you're turning it around you're twisting it and this is how people have approached Scripture. Well, let me give you a very simple answer to whether there's an error in Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed. If there is a single error in Scripture, it is not from God. There are no errors. There are no errors. Another important aspect of, of thinking through what it means that, that the scriptures are God-breathed is that they speak with complete authority. They speak with complete authority. Authority of your creator. So what that means is that when it comes to any topic, the scriptures are the ones that speak with authority on that. And if something else contradicts them, well, something else is wrong. Something else is wrong. It speaks with complete authority. It means that God speaks with complete authority to you through his word. Through his word. 
God has, it, God's word is the final authority on any issue, any subject. And he demands that we believe his words, that we prioritize his standards, that we obey his commandments. And this is above what our own instincts would tell us, what our own logic might be telling us. When you read the scriptures, your creator has spoken. Your creator has spoken. Another aspect this passage brings out, I want to focus in on one word, and it's often such a crucial word in scripture, the word all. First word in our passage, all. All scripture is breathed out by God. Now, a number of, of people point out that in our tight context of this passage, it looks like it's talking about the Old Testament, what had been uh, uh, active in the life of Timothy through his mother and grandmother's teaching uh, to, to give him the understanding that he would need to receive the gospel later on. But as I was reading the commentators, every commentator I read said, look up, <laughs> look up. What's being said further up? Well, let's look up. Verse 10, the apostle says, You have followed my teaching. Verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And that's a plural there, so it would be his elders, Paul. And how from childhood, you see that secondary? And how, not secondary, but another thing. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. As we apply this passage, look down in, verse, in chapter 4, verse 2, where he says, preach the word. Preach the word. What, is he talking about the Old Testament? No. He's talking about the Old Testament and how those strings are brought together in the gospel. Exactly the same way it's been presented to him and entrusted to him. Preach the word, reprove, rebuke, rebuke, exhort, and so on. So you can see that they're coming in from those two sides. Uh, the Old Testament, absolutely inspired by God. The gospel, the teaching of Paul and the apostles, inspired by God. And you might think, would Paul really say that? Well, come with me. Let's have a think about a few passages Galatians 1. Let me just read it to you. Galatians 1, 11 to 12. If you're super fast, you're going to get there, but I'm not going to wait for you. Sorry, I'm trying to not have stones thrown at me. Galatians 1, 11 and 12. Speaking to the Galatian church. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. You see the contrast again. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ, an apocalypse. A revelation of Jesus Christ. The gospel was breathed out by God the Son. Breathed out by God the Son. And Paul's just saying it in his first letter. To the Thessalonian church, he said in, in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, contrast again, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. Breathed out by God. So we have the Son, we have the Father. Now he was so convinced of this. Listen to what he says at the end of the, at the, end of the, the letter. First uh, Thessalonians 5, 27. I put you under oath. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. Wow. To the Corinthians he said, in chapter 2, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians 2, 12 and 13. Now we have received the Spirit, uh, sorry, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, contrast, but taught by the Spirit. 
Words taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. When, he, when we look at God breathing this out, it's not Paul having a gooey feeling as he spoke these words. The very words were taught to him by the Holy Spirit. We hear the Trinity there, right? God the Son, God the Father, God the Spirit, as we look at these verses. They are a gift to God's people. All Scripture Every word. I'd encourage you to look at the footnotes as you look at 1 Timothy 5.18. That's, that's homework. <laughs> 1 Timothy 5.18. You're going to see there that, that uh, Paul gives an argument from Scripture and he quotes Deuteronomy and Luke. Deuteronomy and Christ's words from Luke, his friend, in there. And he calls them both the same word used here. Scripture. Not only Paul was convinced, Peter was convinced. Let me read to Peter 3, 15 and 16. I'll, I'll send the notes out. Um, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. This is completely consistent with Peter's understanding, because he knew that on top of the Old Testament... Every word that came out of the mouth of Jesus Christ came from God incarnate. He knew that. He knew that he had personally, along with the other apostles, received a promise from the Lord Jesus Christ. Two promises. You'll be familiar with them. They were directed to these guys, to the apostles. John 14, verse 26, Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit would teach them all things and remind them of all that he said. That sounds like the Gospels and the Epistles to me. Listen to how, how uh, John speaks of this in uh, chapter 16, 12 through 15. I, this is Jesus, think of this. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Uh, all that the Father has is mine Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you, Father, Son, and Spirit again. And there's that promise for these guys. There was always going to be a New Testament. There was always going to be a New Testament. And it was no small thing for Peter to call anything other than the Old Testament Scripture. It was no small thing. And yet he doesn't hesitate. He doesn't hesitate. Because it was purely the fulfillment of Christ's promise. It was the fulfillment of Christ's promise. Now, think about that as we look at all. All scripture is God-breathed. When you hear someone come to you and say, well, I'm kind of a New Testament guy. He doesn't want to think about the Old Testament. He doesn't want to apply the Old Testament. He doesn't want to read the Old Testament. What does this passage say to that man? All scripture. Well, how about an Old Testament guy? They're around. They want to think of the Old Testament as something that's separated off by itself. And wow, I have to do this, this, and this without any reference to how the New Testament teaches those things. Without any reference to how those things are fulfilled in Christ. All scripture, all scripture is God-breathed. When we look at the fact that all of the members of the Trinity are so explicitly involved in this, what does it say to the person who puts the red letters above everything else? By red letters, it means the words of Christ, right? As though somehow what would Jesus do or what would Jesus say trumps everything else? Jesus himself 
Jesus himself had full confidence in the Old Testament. He used it repeatedly. He believed every fact in the Old Testament. Jesus himself said it wasn't all he had to say. It wasn't all he had to say. For that, we need what the Holy Spirit said through Luke, through Paul, through John, through Peter, through James, through Jude, through the writer to the, to, to the Hebrews. All scripture is God breathed. God has spoken. God has spoken. Now, if that's the case, if I'm looking at this book and going, wow, this is from God, then it makes sense also, and it's spelled out here again, that it's beneficial. It's got to be good. It's got to be beneficial. And we see that here. And profitable, it's breathed out by God, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Profitable here can also, you can see there, uh, be translated as beneficial. It can also be translated as helpful there. And we see here in our passage four benefits, but we've got one more further up that I touched on earlier in verse 15. So five benefits that we see here. In verse 15, we see that the Old Testament that Timothy had heard from being a kid, a little, little kid, would have been read to him from his mum, from his grandmother. These things gave him the wisdom that he needed, the important truths that he needed so that when he heard the gospel, he would go, oh, wow, as those threads came together. You think about it. In the Old Testament, who God is, who we are, the nature of sin, the fact that God would receive a substitute in our place, the prophecies of the Redeemer who was to come. And then we see the way that the New Testament grabs all of those threads and pulls them together and, said, and says, this is Jesus Christ. The one unique, only begotten Son of God. They're fulfilled in Him. And the Lamb of God has taken away your sin. That's amazing. You see that that's what God used to prepare his heart. And we see that as those things came together in the gospel, that's what drew him to Christ. The word of God. Romans 10, 17. We read that the word of Christ is what sparks faith. Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You've heard me say before, and many of us say before, James 1.18, 1 Peter 1.23, speak of us literally being brought forth or spiritually born because we heard the abiding word of God, the living abiding word of God. Draws us to faith. What, what, what greater benefit could you possibly imagine? What greater benefit could you possibly imagine? It's the work of the word that does these things. Let me ask you, why would you dream of using another tool? Why would you dream of using another way to seek to draw someone to Christ or get them emotional or get them to church? What would possess us to think that way? This is God's tool, his word for that very thing. And he wants us to be bold and he wants us to be clear and plain and present the gospel he gave to us. It's the power of God for salvation. Four more benefits. But you'll be blessed to know that there's only two. There are two angles to this. Uh, William Mounts, he's a, you've probably heard his name amongst Greek scholars. He says that there are two pairs, two pairs here. One that's speaking of right doctrine and one that's speaking of right behavior. And there's a pattern here, a pattern here, a positive action followed by a correction, then a correction, then a positive action. That's all I'm going to explain on that and you can thank the Lord for that. Um, the Bible is the source of right teaching on any subject. It is also the source of correction for that issue. 
It is also the source of correction when we see wrong behavior. And it's the source of teaching and training towards right behavior. Very simple. So speaking of right doctrine and right behavior. Teaching is a, is a huge thing. In the, the pastoral epistles, the word there, it could either be translated teaching or doctrine, and it comes up 15 times in the pastoral epistles. Those are 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. 15 times. Six times in the whole New Testament outside of that. So this is a major theme. And it's interesting, he's there, he's got his two lieutenants there. Uh, Timothy, who's in the church in Ephesus, which is struggling with false teachers. Titus, new churches there in Crete, different circumstances. And what's Paul saying? Teach, 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 teach to these people. They had to guard their own doctrine as men of the word. They had to ensure that the church held to right doctrine. And they had to teach faithfully. The church... And every individual within it, every Christian, needs to hold to right doctrine and needs to speak the truth. So important. You will not be a healthy Christian unless you hold to the whole counsel of God. The whole counsel of God. I was was explaining in one of my classes recently how, as a practice, the important way to, to see God bring a, a church from the baby years to maturity is to systematically teach the scriptures to those churches. And one of the students piped up, and I was nice to that person. <laughs> they piped up and said, don't, don't you have anything more creative to say? <laughs> I was nice. <laughs> I'm so relieved that I don't have to rely on my own crea- creativity. Can you imagine what you would be like if you, if you had to live each week based on Matthew's creativity? <laughs> if that was your food. No. <laughs> Sorry, Matthew, I love you. If I smell of green tea later, he's throwing his drink at me. <laughs> you know, it just reflects that people don't understand what they hold in their hands. God's Word breathed out by him. God's sword, the power of God. As I mentioned before, God's hammer. That's where the power is. I love gifted preachers. And when there's a gifted and faithful preacher that just rocks your socks, I love that. I've seen a lot of people also in the first generation of leaders in a church in a tribal area where they have... They've never been to primary school. Never been to primary school. And they can barely read. They've just been taught to read and, and they stand in the pulpit week after week and they, they, they just grind their way through a passage with no style, bumbling. And then the next week they work through the next passage and the next passage till they get through the book. And then the following month they get through the, they start working on the next book of the New Testament. And the church grows. The church grows. Why? Because the power's in the word. The power's in the word. You will be tremendously blessed by gifted, spirit-filled preaching. Praise the Lord. But if you have to choose between style and content, choose the guy who stands up the front and reads the Bible and bumbles. Choose him. Because the power is in the word. We must teach. The other side of the coin from teaching is that wrong doctrine must be corrected. Must be corrected. This is called reproof. Now that doesn't mean that we badger somebody or belittle them. Uh, if, if, if they are causing division, then we need to be stronger. But it's patient, it's loving, it's gentle. Teaching a person... If you move your eyes to the left, you'll see there in 2 Timothy 2, 24, 26. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. And that's opponents who are consistently opposing. With gentleness, 
God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So you seek to do this personally. If it's affecting the church, you must do it from here. You must do it from here. You can't always speak about what's positive. You can't. You see that as you get down into chapter 4, you'll see it becomes a command, string of commands, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. You can't always speak what's positive from the pulpit. This is important. This also involves watchfulness that you need to see what's coming down the pipe in terms of false doctrine and bring it up. Bring it up before it hurts the people in the church. Bring it up in your family. Bring it up amongst the Christians that you know so they can know the truth. Very important. And let me assure you, God's sheep love his voice. And it may really be hard for them to stomach at times. But they love his voice and they will come to him. And they will seek to listen to him. Trust him on that. The second second, uh, set of benefits is to do with righteous living. Speaking the truth when someone's acting wrongly. Training them how to live according to God's will. This is the word of God. And it's both sides. And what's so great about this is what's the purpose? What's the purpose? We heard it actually. James uh, read it this morning. Why were you predestined? To be conformed to The image of Jesus Christ. The image of Jesus Christ. That's beautiful. And so that's the plan. Things we need to stop. Things we need to start. But coming to him and finding in Jesus all we need to bring us there. The correction spoken of here. It's the only time it's mentioned in the New Testament. And it speaks of straightening a fault. Straightening a fault. So the Bible will at times put a spotlight on something you wish it hadn't. The preaching will at times put a spotlight on something that makes you very uncomfortable. And that's good pain. That's good pain. Again, think of what the purpose is. Think of what is happening. Don't avoid your Bible. Don't get angry at the preacher. Look at what God's doing. He is not seeking to harm you. There could be no more beautiful thing than for you to become that bit more like Jesus Christ. Don't fight his correction. Trained in righteousness is is very interesting. Very interesting because it uses the word paideia, which is generally used for physical discipline towards children or the discipline that we receive through life so that we become more righteous. It comes up eight times in Hebrews 12, uh, 3 to 11, because you know those themes are being spoken of there. Again, the scriptures both pushing us and drawing us lovingly into the image of Christ, training us to be like the one who loved us and gave himself for us. And, And we can all attest to that, I'm sure, where we've been undone, where we've seen how much we need Jesus Christ, through a sermon where our daily Bible reading has hit us between the eyes and it's given us the conviction and it's given us the strength and it's given us the comfort to keep walking towards Jesus Christ. It's designed to inform, it's designed to confront, it's designed to direct and it's designed to shape us. This is what the Word of God is for and it's not the average book. It's not the average book. Last point, scripture is sufficient. We saw a lot of tools came out yesterday. I have a funny story and Jan won't like it. <laughs> Sorry, Jan, I love you, brother. We're out there and we're cutting trees and, and Jan and I, we're both there and like, we didn't bring any tools. We assumed people would bring tools, you know? And so we're there, we're the eight o'clock crowd, the three of us, and uh, four maybe. And, and so Jan's there on this tree that's fallen down. He's got a hacksaw and he's like... Whew, whew, on the tree and it's like and he was at it man he was manfully at it and getting through and he would cut through these things and then Michael Stone Street comes along with a straight away and it's like why are we doing that 
Anyway, I'm sure you get a sore arm today, Ian. I love a good tool. And it can be anything. Think of, think of the tools that you own. I'm not just talking about power tools. It could be your computer, your software. It could be your musical instrument, your vehicle. A really good one. The ones that you've spent a bit more money on so you could get a good one. And I just find tremendous pleasure in using a tool that works. <laughs> that's a good one. That's a quality one. Let me ask you a question. What are the chances that the one who spoke creation into existence would create a tool that does what it says it will do? What are the chances? You want to talk about a quality tool? That's what we see here. The Word of God. The Word of God. This book is from Him. We know that. We know that it's is it his intended tool. Well, what would the outcome be of us using this tool, putting it to work? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Man of God is a powerful term here, and I want you to hear it. Used 71 times in the Old Testament. And you know, you know the passages, it's the guy that appears. <laughs> And becomes God's voice in any given situation. He turns up and there's God's voice right there into whatever it is. Positive, negative, scary, whatever. God's voice. That's the man of God. Do you know how many times it's used in the New Testament? Two times. To Timothy. Both times. Chapter 6, it's explicit. God says, you, you man of God, to Timothy. Uh, sorry, that's chapter 6 of uh, 1 Timothy. And then in our passage, and it's definitely talking to Timothy, but through Timothy to us too, that the man of God, that the man of God. Really interesting to me because he's not an apostle. I would expect the man of God would be the apostle. No. It's Timothy. We, we know very little about him as a man. We don't know if he was a man of great learning, but probably not. In this letter, we see that he's struggling and he's failing and he's wilting under persecution from the outside and under those wolves that were promised to the Ephesian church and how hard it was to him for him to keep standing up and correcting and correcting and rebuking, reproving those men. And to him, Paul says, you must be the voice of God in that situation. You must bring God's words to that situation. Wow. The terms we see here speak both of the man and the message. So complete or adequate, it means someone in fit condition or shape. It's talking about him. And God is saying... God will shape you, Timothy. God will prepare you for the things that he has prepared in advance for you to do. God will do that. How's he going to do that, Timothy? Through the word. Through the word. The term equipped here speaks of having the equipment you need. This is so interesting to me. Because what's Timothy wishing the whole time he's there at Ephesus and another false teacher, another wolf. I Paul, could you please come back? Bring one of your words from God that just puts them in their place, closes their mouth, assures the church, strengthens them. And what does Paul say? You are the man. You are the man. Powerful language. Look, we will go down as promised. Look at how he does it. 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 5. Imagine if this was said to you. It is said to you. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming 
when people will not endure sound teaching. Oh, you're not funny. Can't you be more creative? Can't you be more modern? But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. The things they want and want and want. People who will not confront them. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths, things that are not true. Things that are not from God. Verse 5, as for you, always be sober-minded Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. You have what you need. Stand firm and be faithful. Stand firm and put it to work. I tell, I tell you what, so many times I've wanted to just disappear. I, I, get, I get sick of it. I, I, wish, I wish there was something less taxing that I might do. And it's almost always Annie that reminds me. God has called you. God has equipped you. Who's going to do it if you don't? Who's going to do it if you don't? And this passage, pastors, evangelists, our hearts are on fire as we hear these things. Let me ask you something, man of God, woman of God. Who's going to be the voice of God in your workplace? They're not going to invite Jeremy and Maria. And the gifted evangelists, praise the Lord for them. Who is going to be it if you're not it? The voice of God there. Who's going to be the voice and hands and feet of God in your neighborhood? That's a thought. Who's going to be the voice of God in your family? Man of God that is given to you. That is given to you to shepherd your wife. Teach your children. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's a job that God gave to you. You have the tool. You have the tool, even though you feel like Timothy. God can use you. Woman of God, who gave Timothy his foundation? Mum, grandma. I, I so often think that the most important things that went on on in our house was just mum sitting with the kids, chatting about scripture, chatting about life and applying that life to the word of God. You have what you need, woman of God. Young woman. You know, the most weighty responsibility imaginable was given to a teenaged girl. If you've ever read her prayer, I'd encourage you to do that and cross-reference it to the Old Testament. And you will see that she had a rich understanding of the Old Testament in a time that she didn't have her own personal copy. God can use your life. That, that particular job, that's not coming up again. <laughs> but he can use your life. Young man, man of God, Timothy was a late teenager when he joined Paul and his crew. Paul, when he went through Lystra, Iconium, was nearly murdered. And Timothy looked and said, I'm going to join that team. I'm going to join that team. Don't waste your youth. Don't waste your youth. Don't waste your strength and your fearlessness. Be the one who brings God's voice into your friendship group. Be the one who, when God says, I need someone to send, that you're the one that puts your hand up. Man of God, you have what you need. You have what you need. There has never been a generation that has had better access to the word of God than the one we live in right now. Most of history, the history of the Bible, Old and New Testament, the Bible was very rare because it had to be written out by hand, copied by hand. It was expensive. People didn't tend to have personal copies. Through most of, of that time too and right up until now, many people don't have it in their own language. A lot of the time through English we didn't have it in our own language. And yet you've got how many versions? I bet you own a whole lot. 
You got a Bible app? That's good because that means you're not playing with your phone. <laughs> you got a computer program? If you struggle to read, if you're, you can't see well or anything like that, do you have an audio Bible? Which version did you get? The dramatized one? The plain reading one? Which version did you get? Incredible, incredible access to the Word of God. Do, do you know what you have? God speaking to you and you can have it any time. Wow. What a precious gift we have. It's a gift with a purpose. Read it. Read it. Listen to it. Meditate on it. Memorize it. Respond to it. Teach it. Declare it. Take it where it's yet to be heard. What a, what a, a high and holy privilege we have. And that's what a high view of Scripture looks like. God has spoken. Let's pray. Father, we're in awe that you would speak to us, that you would want to know us, and yet, and yet, and yet, you have poured out such love towards us because you've let us know how we can know you. You've brought us to yourself through the Lord Jesus Christ because of the gospel that we heard, and you let us hear it. You've shown us how we can grow in you, and all that growth is just your doing because of your word, because of your spirit's work in our lives, because you don't give up on us. And Father, we pray that you would work in us. Give us a deeper sense of what a beautiful gift you've given us. God, please help us to open our mouths. Help us to trust your word, not our abilities. Help us not to look at, oh, I can't speak or I, I, I struggle or my life's not up to it. God, please help us to see that the answers are there in your word, the change, the wisdom we need. Lord, please help us to be your men and women of God wherever you have us and to know that you've given us all that we need. Well, thank you so much for these dear people and uh, the folks both from Riverbend and, and OBC and any visitors who are here. God bless and strengthen them this week. Help them to find strength in what you've said. Help them to be salt and light. Help them to see your purpose and all the hard things that are happening in their lives that they may know the comfort that only you can give, the deep peace that passes any understanding they could usually have. Father, please, please bless us as your people and make us shine for you and glorify your name. Please glorify your name in Hawke's Bay. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.